Chapter Thirteen of The Man with the Black Cord by Augusta Groner, translated by Grace Isabel Colbron. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mr. Hartman is called away. Very early next morning, the guest in the pavilion took a train for the city and drove in a cab to his own house. He was here only a few moments, and one of his errands was to tell Carl to wear a turnover collar when he came to visit Maximoff that morning. Then Mueller took the cab again and drove back to the station. As he passed a cigar store, it suddenly occurred to him that he hadn't anything to smoke. He called to the driver, and the cab stopped in front of the shop. When the detective had bought his cigars and come out onto the sidewalk again, his eyes fell on some books in a neighboring window. They were scientific works dealing mainly with modern developments in medicine. Mueller paused for a moment, read several of the titles, then returned to his cab, which rolled onward through the streets. Before the station was reached, something peculiar happened. Mueller took the burning cigar from his mouth and pulled off his hat. A wave of hot blood flushed his face up to his very hair, and his eyes gleamed brightly. It was but a few seconds, however, before he had regained his usual calm. He gave a short laugh, put on his hat again, and resumed his smoking. Soon his cab stopped at the station, and he walked up and down in front of the entrance, after looking at his watch and ascertaining that there was still eighteen minutes before the departure of the train. A few moments later, his own carriage drove up to the sidewalk. Carl Tunner got out, looking very smart in his new clothes. He wore a turnover collar instead of the high-standing collar that he had put on early that morning. Mueller and his young companion entered an empty compartment just as the train rolled out of the station. "'I nearly forgot the collar,' said Mueller, looking at the young man with careful scrutiny. "'Is it so very important?' asked Carl with a laugh. "'Yes, it is very important to change the minor lines of one's appearance, as we cannot change the main contours. With your smooth-shaven face, the turnover collar, a different hat, and different colored clothes, you look so different altogether that Maximoff is not likely to have the faintest suspicion that he has ever seen you before.' When the train stopped at an intervening station, Mueller changed compartments. He had looked about him on the station in Vienna, and was almost certain that no one from Inzersdorf was on the train, still he thought it better that he and Carl should not be seen together. When he returned to the village, he went straight to the factory and spent an hour or so studying the ground plan of the works and investigating the details of the machine installation. No one in the works had any idea that he had made this hasty expedition to the city. If anyone had noticed his absence in the early morning hours at all, it was probably only to think that he had gone for a walk. Most of Mueller's time in the factory was spent in Bauer's company. The latter had quite recovered from his upset of the day before, although Mueller was still in the dark as to the reason for it. Finally, a little after twelve, Hartman bade goodbye to his instructor, saying that he had to take a train for the city to keep an appointment there at two o'clock. He reached his own house in time for dinner and sat there waiting until Carl returned. It was nearly four o'clock before the young man arrived. His visit with Maximoff had stretched itself out to such length because the doctor had invited him to lunch. The serious interview concerning the service demanded of him did not take place until after the meal. The Russian had evidently exerted all the spell of his very great fascination, perhaps with a design of binding this young man all the more closely to him. Carl was simply delighted with his new employer. He could not say enough about his wonderful cleverness, his deep learning, and his cordiality. As far as he could make out, the whole thing concerned a quite harmless little service, which, however, might not be without its difficulties. 
Maximoff had told his visitor that he was politically compromised and did not dare to return to Russia himself. He needed some documents from there which must be in his possession before his approaching marriage. There were personal papers only, a certificate of baptism, marriage certificate of his parents, and various more of similar kinds. Had it not been for his political leanings, he could have sent for these papers through the Russian embassy. But under the circumstances, he did not wish to draw the attention of the official representative of the Russian government to his whereabouts. Therefore, he needed the services of someone else, who must be discreet and quick-witted. He would pay a very large sum for the work, and it might be worth it. Bribes must be given, and complications might arise which would need a clear head and quick wits to meet them. But the principal thing, Maximoff assured the young man, was the matter of discretion. Even these preliminary revelations must remain a deep secret between them. The doctor did not wish the lady who was to become his wife ever to suspect even that he was in danger of arrest in his own country. As he was never likely to return there, he saw no necessity of putting her under the hanging dread of a danger that might never reach him. He would, he said, make the journey together with the young detective until they reached the Russian border. Before he left him there, he would give him the final details, which no one else was ever to know. In a hotel which he would designate in the little town of Osfienshim, they would meet after the work had been done. Maximoff would take his papers, Munzer receive his salary, and then they would part, never to meet again. This was the main content of the conversation which Karl Tunner had had with the Russian that afternoon. Maximoff evidently had not the faintest suspicion that he was talking to the man who had lived in the plone house for a week or so as Mr. Hartman's servant. The arrangements had been easily made, and Karl's engagement for the work was settled before the luncheon was over. Maximoff was pleased with this serious-minded, quiet young man, who had such excellent manners and who spoke so little, who seemed also to attach so little importance to what might prove a dangerous errand. The young man's poise and ease seemed to show that he was brave and quick-witted, and the gleam that lit up his blue eyes when the Russian named the sum he was to receive for the work told the latter that his new employee would surely do his best. The two men parted in mutual satisfaction after arranging how they should meet the following evening at the northern station in Vienna. Mueller listened carefully to what Carl told him, asked many questions, and finally announced that he would take part in this expedition himself. Carl was surprised at this, but greatly relieved. In spite of his careless manner, he felt the responsibility of what he was undertaking. Before he left his home, Mueller had another little talk with Mrs. Tunner about the Napoleon miniature. She was firm in her assertion that it had been in Erlock's cabinet two days before his disappearance, and that no one had entered the house since then. Then Mueller repeated his instructions about the telegram which Mrs. Tunner was to send to him to reach him at six o'clock on the afternoon of the following day. He did some shopping in the city, and he himself packed both his own and Carl's grips, and ordered them left ready in the hall. The next afternoon, a little after four o'clock, the usual group gathered around the tea table in the plone sitting room. Maximoff was there also, and Suzanne sat at his side, apparently in a more tender mood than was her custom. She let her hand rest in his, and gazed up into his eyes more often than usual. When Mr. Hartman joined the circle, he said to the doctor, "'Do you know that I have just come from Rose Cottage? I dropped in there in the hope of seeing you, and asking you to lend me one of your Lombroso books. Oh, why didn't you take what you wanted? Anything in the house is yours, as you know.' "'I didn't like to take any without telling you first, answered Hartman, 
sitting down and taking his cup. "'I'll send over all I have of Lombroso as soon as I get home,' said Maximoff cordially. "'Oh, no, don't think of it,' replied Hartman hastily. "'I don't want to burden your brain with anything more today, for Mrs. Schober and your dear little girl told me that you are going away on a journey this very evening. Yes, I am going, but—' "'May I ask where you are going?' "'Just think he's going to Russia,' interrupted Suzanne. "'The very thought frightens me.' Maximoff laughed and raised her hand affectionately to his lips. "'Why should it frighten you, dear? I'm not likely to get in the way of any bomb-throwers. It's only the suddenness of this that has upset you. You see, I did not know until this morning that I would have to go.' He turned to Hartman as he said the last words. "'Indeed. It concerns some papers which I need before we can be married. Unexpected difficulties in the getting of them have arisen.' difficulties that require your own presence i suppose exactly and as any hindrance to my wishes always makes me nervous you want to lay them at once i understand your impatience i cannot endure the slowness of official red tape myself there you see my dear suzanne mr hartman would do the same in my case yes yes i understand i know but i can't help feeling so strangely uneasy suzanne's voice shook as she spoke then she smiled with a touch of mockery at her own fears, and continued, "'My nerves seem to be playing me tricks lately anyway. There is a presentiment of evil hanging over me, but it's ridiculous, and I will not give way to it. Don't let my foolishness worry you, Sergius. I wouldn't for the world rob you of the good spirits you are in just at present. Get your business attended to as quickly as you can, and come back to us, safe and well.' The girl endeavored to give brightness to her tone, but underneath the forced cheeriness was a shade of anxiety quite unusual in Suzanne's well-poised nature. Her sister-in-law changed the subject in hope of cheering Suzanne's melancholy, and the men seconded her nobly. Suzanne herself sat quiet, listening with polite attention, but taking no part in the conversation. Shortly after five o'clock, Maximoff rose. "'You're going already?' asked Suzanne, her eyes dimming. "'Yes, I must, dearest.' he replied tenderly. I've had so little time for this thing, and as I do not know how long I will be gone, there is much I must see to in the house. I must get the half-past six train from here, too, for the express from the northern station in Vienna leaves at 10.05, and the evening service on our slow little road here is not very reliable. Yes, that's true. Then I see you must hurry, said Suzanne, accompanying him out of the room. When she returned, she sat down beside the others, but seemed still struggling with the unknown dread that was oppressing her usually calm spirits. Mueller wondered at it, pondering again over the mystery of the intuition of those who love. The girl's depression awoke an answering melancholy in his own soul, and it took all his strength of will to keep up the conversation. The clock struck six, and the telegram which he expected had not arrived. Mr. Hartman continued to chat about all sorts of indifferent things, apparently careless and easy in his mind half-past six sounded mr hartman was in the midst of an interesting hunting story and one would not have thought that he had a worry in the world and indeed muller was not worried he knew that his own carriage was waiting for him at the next cross-road and that his horses although quite ordinary in appearance were speedy and reliable and if necessary he could make the long distance from insersdorf to the northern station in vienna in less than two hours so he had quite some time yet and could afford to be calm about it at a quarter to seven, the doorbell rang. There it is, thought Mueller. But when the butler came in, it was only a package of books he brought. Maximoff had sent all the works of Lombroso that he possessed. Hartman was delighted at this friendliness, and began to talk of the doctor's active interest in psychology. Plone spoke of the Russian as an expert in the field. 
in the midst of an eager discussion on this interesting topic the clock struck seven i don't need to go really until quarter to eight thought muller i'll complain of my rheumatism and say that a cup of tea in bed and a good book will cheer me up while they believe me in the pavilion settling myself for a quiet evening my carriage will be on its way to the northern station but i hate to think of the unpleasant surprise these dear people will have to-morrow morning just then the doorbell rang again and the maid brought in a telegram for mr hartman he signed the accompanying book and the girl left the room hartman opened the telegram from the baron he said goodness well what do you think there has been a robbery in my house i must go home at once my housekeeper sent me word on a postal card did you ever hear of such stupidity fortunately all my mail goes to the baron's office and he saw that at once and telegraphed me he let the paper fall from his hand onto the table amid the general condolences of the family i won't be able to catch the train that our friend has just taken he said looking at his watch must you leave this evening asked mrs plone indeed i must kind hostess my people appear to have lost their heads entirely or they would have written more definitely what the trouble is he took up the telegram again and read it aloud this time with a tone of anger in his voice the dispatch read your people send word on postal card of robbery in your house ask you to return at once wouldn't you think they could have said a few more words in an establishment like mine it makes considerable difference what part of the house is entered well i'll have to pack up at once i think i'll just throw a few things in a bag and leave the rest here for i want to come again if you will permit it i feel that i need a little more time here for my work his host assured him that he would always be welcome whenever he might come too bad you can't be with sergius on the train said suzanne but hartman replied it would only be a case of going as far as the prater with him i take the northwestern railway to reach my home but i must hurry now for i have only forty minutes to pack my bag and take the next train many many thanks for all your kindness to me i shall miss this pleasant family group particularly the dear children but then i hope to see you all soon again now let me see when the baron sent this telegram mr hartman was quite indignant now in his excitement he looked at the paper again three ten p m he read well it took long enough to reach here didn't it i'll send wilhelm to help you pack in the meantime they will be getting the carriage ready said plone oh no please don't bother about the carriage replied hartman but i'll be very glad of wilhelm's help he can carry my bag to the station another warm handshake and mr hartman left the house he hurried through the garden and when he reached his pavilion he opened a window and leaning far out he gave a long sharp peculiar toned whistle which was answered from somewhere in the neighborhood then he closed the window and turned on the electric light when wilhelm entered two minutes later he found mr hartman already busy at his packing did you hear that whistling sir asked the man mr hartman replied that he had been so absorbed in his packing that he paid no attention to anything else there was a whistle a long queer whistle and then it was answered from across the moor that's no way for decent people to act after nightfall said the servant who as muller had already noticed was not particularly valorous the man was undoubtedly troubled in his mind about his coming back from the station alone this suited muller exactly he closed his bag and locked it locked the cupboards in which he had left his things and put the key in his pocket then he turned out the light and left the pavilion wilhelm carrying his bags for him run up to the house and give the key of the pavilion to mr plone said muller then you can follow me to the station but when they reached the front door they found mr plone already there talking to the driver of a carriage which stood in the road outside here's a lucky chance for you mr hartman here's an empty cab which will save you a few moments in getting to the station the man has been to laxenburg and his horses are tired but you have time enough and it will be more convenient than walking 
He's been paid for the journey, so he'll take you there for the tip. Mr. Hartman got into the carriage, and the men parted with another handshake. The wagon rolled off, and Plone returned to the house, followed by Wilhelm, who was heartily glad to be spared the trip to the station. In the cozy, well-lighted sitting-room, Mrs. Plone was reading the telegram which their guest had left on the table. It read, just as he had told them, "'Your people send word on postal card of robbery in your house. Ask you to return at once. Greeting, Stein.' Then she laid the paper down and turned to her sister-in-law. "'Did you see how his hand trembled?' she asked. "'He seemed quite upset about it.' "'No wonder,' replied Suzanne. "'A message like that is apt to upset anybody. I feel so sorry for him. He's such a nice man.' "'Yes, we shall miss him,' said Mrs. Plone. "'It was a pleasing change in our quiet life.' "'Oh, dear, it'll be very quiet now that both Mr. Hartman and Sergius are away. Goodness knows for how long.' "'They seem to be getting on so well together.' said mrs plone taking up her sewing yes yes indeed suzanne spoke eagerly sergius told me that he had seldom met a man for whom he felt such an instant sympathy and liking as he did for mr hartman mr hartman speaks very well of sergius too ah yes we'll be very lonely without them one of the men of whom they were speaking rolled through the dreary country towards the little station his mind quite at ease as they neared the railway he bent out of the closed wagon and called to the driver the carriage stopped and the man on the box sprang down and came around to the window. "'You manage very well, Heberlein. Now you can give me my bags inside here, and then let me see what your watch says.' Seven forty-two, replied Heberlein, and Mueller continued. Seven thirty-eight is the exact time. You must get me to a quiet, badly-lighted place in the immediate neighborhood of the northern station at nine-forty at the very latest. You have two full hours to make it in. That will be easy. But you'd better be moving now.' End of chapter 13